0: That Triathlon Show, 294. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by ScientificTriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Michael Lieberson. Michael is a triathlon coach based in Toronto, Canada, and he is the host of the Endurance Innovation podcast. He has a background in mechanical engineering and a keen interest and expertise in aerodynamics with plenty of hands on experience of aerodynamic field testing, as well as expertise gained from talking to some of the smartest people in the industry from, for example, manufacturers of aero sensors through his podcast. So Michael joins us today to discuss different methods of aerodynamic testing in the field and discuss this new product category of on the bike aero sensors that we are starting to see available uh, for purchase but before we get into the interview big thanks to our sponsors first we have precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com If you want to optimize your performance in hot or humid conditions, avoid cramping and just generally make sure that your hydration is on point regarding both fluid and sodium, then you should take Precision Hydration's free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy. Precision Hydration also have the brand new Precision Fuel Range with energy products that you can use to hit your numbers. You can use the quick carb calculator on PrecisionHydration.com to get fueling recommendations and you can book a free one-on-one consultation to refine your hydration and fueling strategy with one of the experts at the Precision Hydration team. Use the promo code DET 15 to get 15% off your first order of Precision Hydration Electrolytes or of the brand new Precision Fuel Range on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Senate, they can find it on SenateSwimTrainer.com. The Senate Swim Trainer is an inflatable swim bench that you can use to improve swim-specific strength, technique, and stamina. Uh, it can be used by time-crunched athletes that have just, uh, let's say, 15-20 minutes, which is uh, nowhere near enough to get to the pool and do a workout. But you can use that time effectively in your own home. Or it can be used by a fairly high swimming volume athletes as well to work on specific aspects of your swimming that need a s- development. For example, if you know you're lacking a bit of power, then using the Senate Swim Trainer as a complement to your uh, in-water swim training can be a great tool to use. Senate are currently running a big summer sale with a Huge discount on the swim trainer, but you could get an additional 20% off on this already great discount by taking the total discount to more than 40% off your swim trainer when you purchase it on senateswimtrainer.com/tts. On that page, you'll get the coupon code that you will add at checkout on senateswimtrainer.com. So that's more than 40% discount on the uh, normal price when you shop now until mid-August, is when the Summer sale will end. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Michael Lieberson. So, one thing that we'll discuss in the main interview uh, is uh, yaw angles, and uh, that's something that may not be a familiar concept to everybody listening. So, can you just give a, an explanation of what what that is, what it means? Absolutely, Michael. Yeah. Um, so the the yaw angle is the uh,
1: the the perceived direction of the wind to, in our case, the cyclist on the bike. So, um, uh, an easy way to think about it is if you have, if you, uh, have, uh, no air, no wind and you're just traveling straight, the yaw angle would be zero. Zero means it hits you right in the forehead. Um, if you have a headwind, that's perfect headwind or a perfect tailwind in the same scenario, the yaw angle still remains zero because it's still hitting you right in the forehead or if the tailwind is really strong, or if you know, you're not going so fast then it's hitting you right in the butt. Um, but that's, that's an, you know, that's not a very common condition. Uh, what's more common is that you have some degree of side wind, uh, as you're traveling forward on your bike. And so depending on the direction of the wind relative to you, if you were standing still, so if I can be forward or directly on one side or the other, or a little bit of a tailwind, a little bit of a headwind. Um, and then you factor the direction of that wind and the speed of that wind Comp- uh, and add to that the kind of the vector or the direction and speed of you traveling which you know in this case is forward you add those two vectors for our mathematically inclined friends or you add those two directions and magnitudes of of uh travel both of the wind and you and then you come up with the effective yaw angle so this is taking into account your speed and direction and the wind speed and direction and uh, getting the act the perceived uh, sp- speed and direction of the wind impacting you, the rider. Now th- it's important to understand why this matters in aerodynamic calculations, uh, because, um, your aerodynamic drag will actually change when nothing else is changing depending on the yaw angle. So the, the wind velocity isn't so much important, but the, the, well, no, the, 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 total wind velocity of yourself traveling through the wi- through the air and the wind um it d- doesn't really have a huge impact it does have some but not a massive one but the direction does make a difference and so um michael if you've ever watched if it, if you've ever seen a Um, some aero data from a bike frame manufacturer, a wheel manufacturer, a helmet manufacturer, they won't tell you usually what the aerodynamic drag is uh, just as a number. They'll show you a plot. And usually that plot is aerodynamic drag, whether they do it in watts or grams, um, relative to uh, so that would be on the Y axis and then on the X axis, they have yaw. So you would have some value at zero yaw. So again, that's smacking you in the forehead and then, and then a sweep of that curve as the yaw comes around. So usually, um, for cycling, especially for like deep wheels and things, you will see some decrease in aerodynamic drag as the yaw angle increases until that wheel stalls and then it rapidly increases. So there's, you know, the minim- minimal drag usually happens at some non-zero, uh, yaw angle, at least for wheels. And as for a cyclist as a complete system, it's, uh, it, it also does tend to decrease with a little bit of sidewind, especially if you're carrying something like a disc wheel. If you've, if you've ever experienced that, you get a good sidewind when you've got a disc wheel and it feels like you're, you're sailing along
0: yeah and as we'll get to in the main interview as well uh during a race you experience uh, a range of different yaw angles mm-hmm. uh so so that's important as well that's what well we'll get to that later on uh yeah. we we're recording this after we recorded the main interview <laughs> we just realized that it's good to have have this definition in there for people that are not uh, completely familiar with the terminology all right but now let's get into the main interview welcome back to the triathlon show michael how are you doing
1: I'm very well, Michael. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me back. It's, uh, it's been a long time since we've uh, been on the air together, I guess, but uh, it's been nice to be able to talk to you in, in, uh, in the intervening time anyway.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been a little while. Uh, for, those that, for those newer listeners that may not have heard your previous appearances, uh, do you want to give an introduction, uh, talk about who you are and what
1: you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Michael Lieberzon, My, uh, well, educational background is in mechanical engineering. And, uh, uh, after doing that for a little bit, I switched to coaching, coaching triathletes primarily. And I've been doing that since 2013. So coming on eight years and more recently, and perhaps more <laughs> relevant to the conversation we're about to have, I've been working with, um, fellow Canadian Andrew Buckrell, who was the founder of Stack and then moved to Four Eyes. Um, On a podcast about uh, endurance sports, similar to yours, but with a slightly different bent and uh, working on some uh, aerodynamic and uh, uh, thermal stress management, um, both techniques and, uh, and products, which we can talk a little bit about throughout the show
0: yeah and uh, i highly recommend listeners to check out the endurance innovation podcast if you haven't already because that's a a great podcast with a lot of cool episodes cool guests and and interesting thoughts from you and andrew uh, on as well so let's dive into today's main topic so aerodynamic field testing and uh, and the sensors as well as a part of the the product category that you can use for field testing uh, do you want to start by giving an overview of the different testing methods that exist for field testing specifically, and uh, talk us through what what they are all like uh, from a high level?
1: Sure. Um, maybe before we do that, I just want to give a very high level introduction of uh, of what uh, what's involved in aerodynamic testing. I promise I won't spend too much time on it, but it's I think it's a good bit of background to give listeners some context on it. Um. And uh, feel free to chop this out if you need to in post, Michael. No problem. But, no
0: problem. Um, Go for it.
1: Very briefly. Yeah. So, if when we're, when we're thinking about the, you know, the kind of the power that we put into the bike, uh, the mechanical power, uh, it sort of gets divided into five buckets. And this was uh, covered very well by uh, a guest on our show um, and very recently. And uh, so, those five buckets are um, overcoming gravity, right? So adding to your gravitational potential energy, uh, acceleration, so adding to your kinetic energy. Um, also, there is drivetrain losses, which is pure friction losses. Um, there is rolling resistance ro- losses from your tires, which are a little bit of friction, a little bit of vibration. Um, and then, of course, there's aerodynamic drag. So one of the challenges of, uh, of doing aero drag calculations very well is controlling the other factors and, uh, and making and, and kind of zeroing them out or, or being able to measure them accurately. So, uh, that's, that's it for a preamble. And now I'm, I'm happy to answer your question, Michael, as far as the, the different field testing methods. Um, primarily there are two broad categories. There are uh, a few sensors out on the market, and uh, if you'd like, I can I can talk about my experience with them and with the ones that I know about, even if I don't have experience with them. And then there are sensorless uh, testing methods. So um, probably the most uh, the most obvious one is uh, Aerotune, uh, a company out of Germany that I actually have quite a bit of experience with. And there, um, and again, we can talk about specifics. But there, they're using the inputs of just uh, speed. Power and uh, altitude, in order to calculate aerodynamic drag without directly measuring airflow.
0: Yeah, so uh, I think we can we can continue going into that air, comparing the sensor-less so aero tune as an example mm-hmm. with the sensor type uh, calculation or, or sensor type testing. I should say sorry. And sure. uh, so, so if you can maybe describe a little bit in more detail the aero tune testing and. Uh, uh, again uh, we use that as an example but there might be other other options out there and then right. use for whatever sensor that you have used for testing to compare that and so we can compare and contrast
1: sure thing yeah of course so the um you know those those five buckets remain the same whether or not you're testing with a sensor without a sensor so you have to figure out you whatever it is that you're using has to be able to capture those uh Either capture or or kind of give you a, an educated guess as to those as to those five buckets. So if we can go back to those five buckets for a second. Um, the first one is, of course, uh, elevation. So any kind of elevation change needs to be captured. And this was um, something that Mark Graveline, who is the expert I mentioned earlier uh, on our show, spoke about Um having quite a bit of trouble with because uh, as you can appreciate as anyone who's climbed a hill on a bicycle can appreciate it takes a lot of power to go uphill even if it's a fairly mild hill and because the uh, in order to get good aerodynamic data you really need high quality high precision measurements of really all of those all of those elements all of those five buckets uh, it's important that the um, the elevation one is, is covered because it plays such an outsized role in the total power required to move your bike forward. Um, so different companies have gone about solving that problem differently, but it's one that's really important to solve because if you get it wrong, it can, it can muck up your, your, your data. It's so much noise to your aerodynamic signal that it makes the, the data that you receive or you think you receive for aerodynamics, not super usable. So, um, one of the ways that uh, that you can um that you can try to get around this is use an out and back course, which, as far as I know, and again my my knowledge is limited to the systems I've used um and some of the folks I've spoken to that's really what what the 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 you know all the players on the market currently use for field testing so obviously, we're not talking about wind tunnel, we're not talking about velodrome, we're talking about outdoor field testing so in an out and back course, the idea is if you you know, you start at point A and then you go to point B, which is some distance down the road. Then you turn around and you go from point B to back to point A. So, in that A to B, then B to A transit, you've essentially zeroed out your any kind of elevation gain, right? So, you've gone. You may have gained a little bit of elevation, but you would have lost the same amount of elevation. So, the um, the the kind of the thinking there is that you don't have you have a net zero elevation gain from A to B to B to A, basically. So that's uh, and the difference in um, in the systems that I think do it, some systems that do it better than others is that they are more careful about picking up A and B and they're not necessarily, they're measuring elevation, but they also understand that it has to equal zero. And, uh, there are some systems that don't actually do that. And then they, they, you potentially introduce quite a bit of, uh, of error into your measurement that way. So that's one difference. So regardless whether or not you're using an air, uh, a, an actual airflow sensor or not, that's something that needs to happen. Um, then if we're talking about, um, drivetrain drag, that's usually, you know, estimated as, as a fairly low number. So we can kind of put that one aside and not worry too, too much about that anymore. Um, rolling resistance is a really interesting one because it's, uh, there's, there's sort of two ways that you can address it. You can just guess a number based on, um, based on the tire and the tube that you use or tubeless, um, and on road quality and on tire pressure and on system weight. And that's kind of a, you know, a dodgy proposition, in my opinion, to estimate it that way. It's not impossible, but you, you can introduce some non-trivial errors into your aerodynamic measurement by getting the coefficient of rolling resistance estimate wrong. So what some of the, uh, some of the more, I don't know, let's say more advanced folks are starting to do now is they are building in a way to, uh, I still would call it an estimate rather than a calculation, but to estimate uh, the coefficient of rolling resistance from the data that you're able to collect in a uh, aerodynamic field test. How, How did they do that? So that's a great question. So, um, I am, again, I'm not an expert on this, but I think I have a good enough understanding on how it works to, to try and explain it. Uh, so a little bit of physics. Um, the, aerodynamic drag is, or sorry, the, the power to overcome aerodynamic drag is proportional to the cube of your velocity, right? So the faster you go, and again, anyone who's ridden a bicycle quickly can appreciate this. It's much, much easier to go from, let's say, 10 kilometers an hour to 20 kilometers an hour than from 20 kilometers an hour to 40 kilometers an hour. And uh, that's that's sort of intuitive. If the, you know, the, the difference from 10 to 20 is one eighth, in, in the power difference required to go from ten to twenty is one eighth the power difference required to go from twenty to from twenty to forty, because it's a it's that cube relationship. So two to the power of three is eight. That's how that math works. Um, rolling resistance is directly proportional to speed to velocity, right? So what you can do is you can run two tests on the same in the same setup. Uh, on the same day, on the same surface. So you are trying to control for climatic conditions um, because they're the same day. You're trying to control for road conditions because you're running on the same surface. And you would do this with the same setup. So the exact same position, the exact same equipment. So you would run um, one set of tests at a high power, high velocity, and one set of tests at a low power, low velocity. So then uh, the algorithms that, uh, that are running in the background. So I know for a fact that both Aerotune and uh, AeroLab which is a sensor based uh company out of Calgary they both can do this um and so you run these these series of tests and basically what it, what the algorithm is looking for there is that it knows from let's say the high speed test what it expects your uh your aerodynamic drag to be and then when you're running it at a lower speed test um then it 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 looks at the difference of what it would expect the aerodynamic drag to be based on a sort of a guess at CRR and then adjusts the CRR, which is the coefficient of rolling resistance to make the curves match up. Does that make sense? That makes
0: total sense. Yeah. 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 Because of
1: it, yeah, it has, it's really clever, right? And it has to do with the difference in the, in the fact that the, the arrow drag is a cubic relationship and the coefficient of rolling resistance is a linear relationship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so when it comes to the sensors uh, or when it comes to the actual, how, how the testing works, um, Let's uh, let's just talk about your experience. So you have sure. you're working with uh, one or several different sensors. Which ones is it that you have been using?
1: So primarily this year, I've been focused on using Aerotune, which is a sensorless system. And I've had uh, you know we had uh, the guys from Aerotune on our show, and I know you've had Bjorn uh, on your show as well, who who's not the Aero guy; he's the their metabolic guy. But uh, um, yeah, they're they're a great outfit to work with. And so I, I've had sensorless.
0: Sebastian back in the day in episode. Oh, 19. did you? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. Um, and, then, uh, and, and then I've also used Notcio, uh in the past. It's been probably about a year since I've used their system. So my information on them is admittedly probably a little bit out of date. But Noshio is a, is a Canadian company, um, and they do have a zero-yaw um, wind sensor. So they have a pitot tube that, that does measure zero-yaw airflow. So well between those two I can I can I can speak to those two basically. Okay.
0: So um, maybe let's start with AeroTune, since that is the one that you've been using the most this year. Yes. Uh, can you talk us through what what does the test look like when when you do it? Right.
1: So, um, a little bit of a preamble. So ca- aero testing is, uh, is a really fun activity for, for folks who have a lot of patience and a lot of curiosity, right? So it's, uh, I think it's, it's one of those, uh, I do believe that like, you know, aerodynamic testing is, is one of the, the last great opportunities for improving performance. That's my kind of like, I'm biased, obviously, since I do it quite a bit, but that's my, that's my plug for it. But it's not straightforward there's actually quite a lot that you need to get right. Um, and it's very easy to make mistakes with it. And that just has to do with the fact that the strength of that aero signal. So, you know, when you make interventions, when you change a helmet or change a suit or change your position, your aerodynamics will change. They will change a little bit, right? And sometimes they'll change more than a little bit. But if you can't control for all the other noise in the system, so that's elevation, that's coefficient of rolling resistance, draft train not a big deal, uh, or acceleration or any any kind of any errors that are that are added to your system from the sensors and primarily from your speed sensor or from your power meter that can really muck things up. So the only reason I, I say this is, is to kind of uh, to give your listeners an idea of how um, you know, uh, how uh how difficult it is to get it to get everything spot on so uh, with aerotune and i think this applies to to other systems as well and and sensor based systems as well um probably the most important thing is a very tight control of your experiment right so you need to approach this process uh like a like a scientific experiment right so we're following the scientific method where you have you know the tested variable is your coefficient of drag, your CDA, um, and everything else needs to be a controlled variable. And you have to do your best to, you know, control your variable as well. So in order to do that, probably the in my experience, um, and I've I've done tests uh, probably since you know since early spring here in uh, in Toronto, and I've probably I've done on myself probably uh, maybe eight or ten tests, and I've tested three or four other people. Um, and the most important thing is finding the, the, the optimal route for testing. So in the AeroTune example, uh, each pass is a thousand meters. Um, there's a beta version of 500 meters, but you have to, you need more passes to do it. So there are pros and cons, but let's say a thousand meters. And then you need some space to accelerate to, uh, race speed. And then you need some space on the, the end of the past the thousand meters to then decelerate and turn around and reaccelerate, uh, to, to your race speed. Um, and so you need a thousand, you really need like 14, 1500 meters of, of, of road. And this road obviously can't have any traffic lights or stop signs. Um, it should be in fairly good shape. So you don't want to have to be digging, you know, dodging around potholes or, or other road obstructions. And in a perfect world, it is. it has no traffic on it. So if you live in a major city like me, uh, Toronto is a city of, you know, some 3 million people, depending on how you count it. Uh, that's not an easy thing to find, uh, to find a road that's that's in pretty good shape, that's long, long enough without lights, and that doesn't have a lot of traffic on it. Um, and the reason you want all of those things, so the length is because it's dictated by the test and the lights, it's obvious why you don't want to stop in the middle of your test. But traffic plays a role too, um, specifically vehicle traffic, because anytime a car passes you uh, in either direction, especially if it's a close pass or worse still, if it's something like a transport truck, you you introduce quite a bit of air into your aerodynamic measurement because the airflow around you changes quite dramatically. If you've, you know, if you've ever drafted a vehicle before, you can appreciate why that is.
0: Yeah, no, no that takes, it's got to be. Pretty useless almost if you, at least if you're comparing small differences, like testing a different helmet or something like that. So yeah, essentially That's it. useless.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not quite useless because there are ways to get around it, but it is, it does introduce a wrinkle or, or an added bit of difficulty into your, into your test setup. Okay. So, um, you know, back to your question about logistics. So you would set up, you would do uh, a baseline run where you're just, uh, you're going, you're doing an out and back in the same position just to, just to verify, just to let the algorithm, the arrow algorithm verify that the, the route is suitable. And then per setup, you would do a minimum of two runs. Okay, so you would do your baseline, and then you would you would still do your baseline two more times. So you would go out and back once, out and back another time, and uh, after each pass, provided you have a, you have your phone with you and you're running their Connect IQ app, which actually is probably is one of my favorite features about Aerotune is that they do have a Garmin Connect IQ app which runs on the latest Garmin Edge units so it really walks you through the test. So you don't, you know, you know when to accelerate, you know when to hold position, you know when to turn around and it's it makes things quite easy. And if you have your phone with you and your phone's connected to the internet, then you get your uh, your CDA values pretty much as soon as you're done the passes, which is really handy cuz then you can make decisions as to what you're going to try next. Um and so getting back to that vehicle problem or or any kind of other obstructions, you can you can start to um Average out the errors and really uh, get a much more accurate ultimate result by doing more passes. So, for example, if you you know we were I was doing a test yesterday, prime example with uh, a local pro uh, Taylor Reed. Um, We were testing out in Milton, and there's a big construction site nearby. And there was one time he got stuck behind a truck, Um, and so and so instead of you know throwing out that test run completely, we just ran an extra run. We just had him do an extra out and back, and so and I actually. In, in the in the software afterwards you can actually mark mark passes mark runs that are um, that you think are errors because of whatever reason. Um, and so we were able to to salvage it just by, by doing an extra run. And if we really wanted to to shrink those error bars even more, we could do we could do more runs, right? Because the errors become more averaged out.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah, that that's that's really cool. It sounds like a good setup. And then obviously, if you then want to compare different setups configurations, maybe try different wheels, different helmets, mm-hmm. whatever it is, different positions. Then you just do two more runs. Two runs for each configuration. And, yeah, at or a minimum or more, more, but yeah. at least two.
1: At least two, and it and and then you're starting to you're starting to think about what it is you're trying to find, like what sort of what sort of questions. I always encourage people that I'm testing or when I go out to test is to think about what sort of questions are you looking for answers to, right? Are you just looking to you know, get the fastest possible position, or are you restricted in some way? So prime example for Taylor, which is which was interesting because he was the first pro I worked with, is um, I brought uh, a suit that I wanted him to try that I thought could be really fast on him, and he goes, "No, I can't wear that suit because I can't race in it because I have a. sponsor suit that I have to wear his, you know, I have to wear their suit. And so I can wear one of two of their suits. I can wear a sleeveless version or a sleeved version, but I have to wear one of these two suits. So, you know, you're always thinking about what sort of questions are you looking for answers to? Um, And on the subject of deep wheels, for example, it's interesting to test them to a point, but they're actually kind of a boring thing to test because we know they're going to be faster, right? We know that a deeper section wheel is going to be faster. And in fact, this is something that I learned very recently from Sebastian, is when you're testing with a disc wheel, right? We know that discs are faster. I think that one's been put to bed, unless you can't, unless you can't ride it safely or comfortably, like unless it makes you sit up out of arrow or you know you're you're so uncomfortable on the road and a crosswind with a rear disc that it's you know that it affects your your comfort. Then of course, then it's a conversation. But if you're comfortable with a disc, it's going to be faster in almost every race scenario. So we never test them. And the other th- the other thing about discs is that they, um, especially if you have. um uh, a fairly high yaw wind condition. So that's where the wind is coming from the side rather than from head on or directly behind you. Um, discs, because they, at a certain yaw angle, they actually create lift. They, they can actually act like a sail. Um, they introduce a lot of, they, they can mask some of the signals. So some of the small uh, improvements in aerodynamic drag or, or, you know, not improvements or making things worse of, with aerodynamic drag that you may be testing because you're testing a new helmet but now all of a sudden the wind has shifted a little bit. And if you have a disc wheel, then the, the kind of the noise that you're getting from the wind shift because you have this massive sail behind you can mask the signal from whatever intervention you're actually trying to test. So the advice from Sebastian and something I've started doing is we, we don't test disc wheels anymore. We're like, I want, I want people who are coming to me for testing. And then when I test myself, I'm riding a pair of, uh, of like aluminum you know, what we used to call training wheels, like basically, you know, 20 millimeter, 25 millimeter deep wheels that have no aero properties whatsoever, because I know that on race day or on a time trial or something, I'm going to put deep wheels on and a disc on, and I know I'm going to be faster, but, uh, uh, for testing, it makes sense to ride shallow wheels
0: yeah that that is a great uh great tip about uh not using disc wheels that i don't think would have been intuitive for mm-hmm. uh for many people at all i certainly wouldn't have thought of it even though it's yeah we know we know that disc wheels are faster but yeah. i guess intuitively i would just have gone out in my race setup and test whatever i want to test but the race setup would obviously be a disc wheel so yes so yeah but that is great advice and yeah, and, there's value in testing it just
1: from the perspective of like being able to handle it but that's not aerodynamics that's more like comfort
0: yeah so so it brings us to another interesting question because it sounds like you're sort of thinking that most of the value in testing is comparing different configurations if you want to call it that not mm-hmm. so much finding well what is my actual aerodynamic drag is is that the case
1: I think you're spot on. I was, uh, I was going to mention it earlier, but, um, yes, this is something that's an important, uh, this is an important con- consideration for people to keep in mind that your, there is no such thing as an absolute CDA. You know, it's, 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 um, it's a, it's a measurement that isn't, you know, as absolute as, let's say your threshold power or your, your power of VO2 max, which is, you know, we can argue <laughs> whether that's an absolute measurement too, but, uh, it's, that's a much more absolute measurement than, than your CDA. So your CDA is going to depend a lot on, um, on conditions, right? And specifically, we're talking about, uh, wind, wind, wind speed and wind direction. Now, most algorithms, uh, will take into account things like atmospheric pressure and humidity, which we know affects CDA. So they will, they will factor that in. But wind speed is something that, uh, wind speed and wind direction is something that is going to affect your CDA on the day. So for example, you know, your absolute CDA. Uh, so there are sensors, for example, that'll measure non-zero airflow. So zero yaw, sorry, zero yaw airflow and non-zero like the, um, the Aerolab sensor from Calgary. But, uh, There's the, and then you can get, you know, you, you can get an accurate CDA on that day with, with that airflow taken into account. But then when you go race, if you're using, for example, your aerodynamic data to run a, um, um, you know, an analysis on a platform like best bike split, and and you want to know how fast you're going to end up going. If the wind on that day is different, then your analysis is going to be different. Right. So that's something that there is no absolute CDA. So what, to your point, and I think you're, you're exactly right, um, what you're looking for is the fastest setup that you can find on that day. And if that day is at all representative of what your race conditions are going to be, you're probably going to be pretty close to you. You have good confidence that that's the fastest setup on race day as well. Yeah. And you might get some, you might get two setups that are really close and then you probably, then it might be a wash. You know, you can say I can go with A or B.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, uh, if we now go into the other type of testing with the sensor. So you, you mentioned working with, uh, with the NoShio sensor. So mm-hmm. can you talk us through what a test like that would look like? Where would it differ? Where would it be the same and so on?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, it's the same, right? So, in in many many ways, it's the same. the The biggest difference between a sensor based test and a sensorless based test is that, of course, the sensor measures airspeed, either zero yaw or or all y- or well a broad range of yaw, um, and then the Otherwise, it's it's still trying to capture everything else, right? It's still taking power, it's still taking speed, and it's still taking elevation, and it's either estimating or you're inputting your coefficient of rolling resistance. So the only difference with a sensor is that you are, you're measuring speed, as I said. And so the one thing that the sensorless-based systems like AeroTune try to do is, since you're going out and back and assuming that the wind isn't too different... Um, then you are, you, you're zeroing out that wind because you've gone out and you've come back. So the advantage of, of systems that do have a sensor is that you don't need to zero out the wind because you can directly measure it. So the, 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 the test protocol is very, very similar. I believe, and it's been a little while, uh, since I've used NoShio that their test runs are longer. So they're running, I think they're, they're asking you to do something like a two kilometer so 2000 meter out and a 2000 meter back but you're still doing an out and back and you're still trying to control for all of those other variables except the, the you know the claim there with a with a with a sensor based testing system is that you can actually measure wind directly and you can know when it's changing and this is really important because um if you're if you're running a test session and usually in order to do you know in order to test a bunch of things. You're you're out there for quite a bit of time, right? So you're out of there for you're out there for from four to six hours potentially doing testing. So it's like it's a full day. Um, and depending when you start and what your weather happens to be, your wind can change throughout that day. And uh, there are ways to get around that with a with somebody like Aerotune. But if you do have a sensor, then you get that direct wind information. You don't have to estimate the wind speed and direction. You can actually directly measure it, and then you get more accurate. Um, you you get more accurate CDA as your as your uh you, know, you get more accurate CDA, which allows you for a better comparison of A to B to C, if, even if the wind conditions change.
0: Mm. That does sound like an advantage. So so can yes. you talk about why are you currently favoring Aerotune versus using the No Show?
1: Yeah, Good question. I think for me, it's, uh, it's usability. Um, because what, uh, what Aerotune, what Aerotune allows me to do is, first of all, it's coaching somebody on using Aerotune is a little bit easier, because they have the Garmin that's right in front of them, that's, that's giving them all of that data. Um, I also find that they're um, the, the ability the, like the the usability is is more straightforward you have more control over over analyzing test data on either your phone or on you know a laptop so my setup is i'll uh I'll bring my laptop to the field and um and tether it to my phone so that I have the internet and then we can see live after, as the person is testing all of the all of their all of their results and so if we see something that doesn't make sense then we can make a decision that to you know, rerun that pass or to do, um, you know, to do, uh, to do another pass, uh, or to, you know, yeah, to try something, something a little bit different, but, uh, with no show, you have to use golden cheetah, which is, uh, you know, an analytics software, kind of like WKO, uh, in order to, to do any kind of deep analysis. And it takes a little bit more work to do that, um, in, in situ, if you like, and it's more of like a a post hoc sort of analysis. So I like the fact that with AeroTune, I can do it, uh, I can do it live. It also helps because the, the AeroTune, um, the Aerotune uh, test is 1,000 meters, and I believe the, the NoSio is 2,000. So my problem of finding a suitable test route in, in and around Toronto, I mean, it's hard enough to find 1,000 meters. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to find 2,000.
0: Mm, yeah. yeah. So uh, what about the other sensors? I don't know. Have you tried any of them? Uh, maybe not, but at least you have talked to people from the other companies that produce Aero sensors. What, what's your take on them and how they might compare to, to the nosio
1: yeah, so it's interesting. I we've we spoke to Chris Morton, who is uh the chief engineer and co-founder of Aerolab, um out of Calgary. Uh there's a company called Ghibli out of, I believe, Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, and I know that um the Mark Graveline, who is uh uh who was one of the founders of, of Notio, is working on a sensor um and also aerotune is uh is working on a sensor as well so they're actually going to be adding a sensor to their sensorless testing system uh so they're going to go to a sensor-based one right. as well s-
0: shortly I, th- um, I think there's also aeropod and uh, yes. then there's body rocket out of the uk
1: those two I know, I know uh, they're kind of on my radar, but I don't know very much about them. I think Body Rocket is doing something interesting because they're adding sensors on other parts of the bike. Um, and I don't know
0: if I, th- uh, I think they're measuring rolling resistance. I may have that wrong, but I think they are doing that. They have at least, they think they talk about measuring more, estimating less. Uh, oh, something
1: okay. That and that effect. would be that would be a huge win because right now, rolling resistance is an estimate, right? So, um, if we can just touch on that again, because we brought it up, uh, it is an estimate, but as long as you hold a constant, right. And you, you know, assu- assuming you're riding the same road on the same day and the temperature doesn't change a ton. So it doesn't change your air pressure too much over the course of the day. Um, rolling resistance is going to stay pretty static. Right. So even if you're off a little bit, um, assuming that, you know, kind of going back to our, our, your question about whether or not you're just doing A B testing or if you're getting an absolute value for CDA, um, provided you can, you hold your rolling resistance stable and it's close. Um, again, you're, you may not be getting an absolute accurate CDA value, but at least you're getting consistent results of, you know, A is faster than B and slower than C. Um, yeah. but yeah but getting back to your question about other sensors so uh, we spoke with Chris Morton of aerolab before they launched it was probably about a year ago and uh, and their their product is really interesting and they they measure they estimate um, coefficient and rolling resistance similar to what aerotune does in the same protocol um, their sensor is pretty advanced from what I understand and it is measuring zero and non-zero yaw so it is giving you quite a, quite good um, wind speed you know, wind condition, uh, measurements. And, uh, I haven't actually used it. And, uh, but what's I think is most noteworthy about AeroLab is that they, right out of the gate, they said, we are not making a, uh, a unit for athletes. We are only making a unit for coaches and fitters and, you know, engineers and sports scientists. So they marketed it. So more than their sensor, what's interesting to me is that how they marketed it was uh, to go directly to, to coaches. And if I was to read between the lines of this, uh, I kind of the one of the conclusions that I would draw is that they know that aero testing is tough, that it's not straightforward and that there's a lot of kind of you know, there's a lot of knowledge and experience and, uh, and information that needs to be, that needs to be with the person conducting the test. And it's, it's probably a better bet for a higher quality result, better outcome to give it to people who, you know, they've certified or who are, you know, who have this experience on their own. And interestingly, no has recently uh, rolled out, uh, like a coaching platform. I haven't looked too much into it, but it basically they will walk you through how to do an aero test. So it's a service that um they're offering to to folks who have their their device. So this again kind of supports my completely wild guess, but I think I'm on uh, I'm on the right track that uh they're looking at um offering this service to uh you know to to help people do a better job of aero testing because of all the, you know, the nuances and complexities that I talked about just before.
0: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and uh, about the future of Aero sensors, uh, do you think that the scope of the use case might broaden in in the future? With, for example, I know that some sensors, they you might be able to see a CDA on your Garmin, but I know you've talked about, well, that's not really particularly useful uh in in the real world for for several reasons but but is that something that might become more useful later on as the te- technology develops or do you think that that there's there are fundamental uh laws of physics that makes it very <laughs> difficult to make some use uh, use of that or and another question there would be as well what about yeah do you think that you can get with better estimates or measuring more things uh, a better handle of the absolute cda even if it's translated to a certain fixed air pressure and uh, and uh, your angle zero for example
1: Mm, yeah good questions i'm gonna ask i'm gonna answer your second question first because i think it's an easier question to answer the one about uh, absolute cdh i think we're i think we'll get there fairly soon um i it has to do with um with measuring yaw accurately, right? And that's something that a lot of sensors like AeroLabs uh, is already doing. I believe Ghibli is doing it. I know AeroTune sensor is going to do it as well, capture non-zero yaw. Um, I think that uh, in order to get accurate CDA, other than, or like absolute CDA accurately, obviously, other than uh, having non-zero yaw measurements, I think it's also important to, be able to get a good sense of rolling resistance. So I know there are folks who are working on stuff. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it yet, but there are people wor- working on, on um, getting more accurate measurements of CRR there are a lot of people who are obviously very invested in this in the kind of the tire and wheel world because that that makes a very big difference to them for for years they've been building their you know well wheel builders have been building their products as more aerodynamic but not necess- what if you're, if you're, if your combination of tire and wheel aren't don't have a very good coefficient of rolling resistance you might be more aero but you might be slower right so um there there are there are smart folks in that field that are working on getting Accurate measurements of uh, rolling resistance, and that is is obviously a requisite. And then I would say the last one would be um, would be getting a really good uh, barometric altimeter to get to give you absolute CRR values, because right now, or at least this was, and this comes from uh, our, my conversation with uh, mark graveline formerly of nosio um, that was one of the issues that they had when they were putting that sensor together well when it first rolled out was that accurate barrel altimeters were really tricky there was just a lot of drift in the altimeter and so and if you can't get a very accurate altitude measurement it's really hard to get accurate cda or repeatable cda because of that you know as i mentioned the the ro- the outsized impact of elevation gain on that whole calculation so to yeah. answer your question, I think it's coming. I think absolute CDA is coming. Um, in my opinion, you know, and I, I I ask this question on on our show a lot, and I know you you have a you you do too. Uh, you think about this too a lot. Is w- is it useful, right? Like, is it, is it actionable? So, um, for me right now, I think knowing, uh, relative CDA is quite useful because then you can make equipment and position decisions. Um, absolute CDA would be useful potentially in, uh, in creating a race strategy for sure. But I think if we can get a really accurate relative CDA, uh, analysis, um, I think we're mostly, you know, we're, we're almost all, we're almost to the point where I'm, I'm happy with the, with the end result, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I I do think that the absolute CDA, at least at the elite end, will be really important just for benchmarking. Just as like right now, you know, so what does it take in terms of what's per kg roughly to win an Ironman race or be on the podium of an Ironman race? Uh, Assuming you can run off the bike, but (laughs) but just or have a competitive bike split at an Ironman race. We know what what power or power to weight is, is required typically. But, uh, well, well, but actually that's only part of the story because if we can know the power to CDA, I mean, then, yes. that would probably make it a lot more accurate to be able to say that and just benchmarking. So, and profiling an athlete, the knowing that aerodynamics is such an important part, it, it's not mm-hmm. just about the power. And, and if we know that an athlete has a lot of potential improvements to make based on the fact that, let's say, a lot of other competitors have uh, a lower cda uh, even however if it's measured accurately and and we have a rough idea of what it is then then that tells us that okay it is something we can work on so so I, i do think that there is that use case as well for knowing the absolute cda
1: yeah. And even uh, I think I think you're I think you're onto something for sure. And even with current technology, I think there's a really good way to to get there just through, um, you know, more tests. Right. So repeated, repeated tests uh, on the same surface, maybe in different wind conditions. Right. And you can do, you know, if you've got your favorite test route, you can go out there when especially if you can find it on a very calm day. If you're out there on a calm day or um or if you're or if you have a route that's uh that's in uh, in let's say a forest or some area which has a lot of, you know, wind uh, obstruction, provided that the wind isn't just blowing down the road and and creating a wind tunnel, then you can get quite calm conditions and then in calm conditions you could get an absolute CDA with today's technology, no problem. Mm. Right? So with the right test route, I think you're you're, you know, even with the with the other t- the things that I talked about, you can do it you can you can quite readily do it today. Uh, it's definitely trickier to get a live CDA, right? Because what is it that you know, I think we we spoke to? We I think we've we've bugged everybody we've had on the show about live CDA or whatever you want to call it, uh, and most people have kind of moved away from it because of the, um, because of how variable, um, you know, drag is moment to moment. Um, you can get a gust of wind, or you can get, you know, some kind of you know vehicle passing you, or you can move a little bit and then and then your drag changes. And I- even if you settle back into your position, that instantaneous CDA is gonna be is going to be a little bit different. And that's why all of the protocols have some kind of distance, some non-trivial distance that you have to cover. And then the calculation is averaged over that whole distance. So I know that when I was working with NoShio a couple of years ago, they were looking at, you know, ch- changing it from, from like truly live CDA to a 60 second average of CDA, um, which is, you know, if you're traveling at, at, you know forty five kilometers an hour is almost you know it's it's not that far off that thousand meters that we that we talk about for uh for a test so I think that's realistic in the not too distant future to have you know to have an a fairly long average of uh of your cDA but then the question is what can you do about it and here's here's the real tricky p- component like let's say the wind changes or more you know uh, maybe a more realistic example would be you turn a ninety degree corner Right. And so now where the wind was maybe zero yaw, I mean, not, not your perceived wind, but like absolute wind, wind velocity was zero yaw if you were heading straight into it. Now you turn 90 degrees. Now it's directly from, from one direction. It's a 90 degree yaw. Obviously you're moving. So it's much, much less. But, um, then you would, you know, your, your sensor might show that. Okay well the wind's changed but your CDA has also changed as a result of that and then what do you do about it right so like what action are you are you meant to take as uh, as an athlete in that case if your goal is to stay as aerodynamic as possible so uh I don't know that we're we're quite at that point yet to um to be able to you know to accurately assess CDA or to accurately assess live CDA I think what may be uh, an interesting path forward or maybe like an interesting intermediary step between where we are now and where and and that place is having uh, having um, some kind of IMU sensors on the body on critical parts of the body and to to make sure that our position stays stable so something like a leomo or something similar to their to their product um that that can that can help people maintain their best position over the course of the race even as they fatigue i think that's probably a really smart intermediate step
0: yeah yeah, yeah and that would be a almost like a like a process goal to, let's say keep your head down and uh, and you can focus on that whereas the absolute cda or the live cda number would be uh an outcome goal which you as you say for many reasons can't necessarily control so mm-hmm. so that makes makes a lot of sense to me that uh yeah focusing on on the imu sensors and, and the position holding that would be and, perhaps a better way to go about it
1: and if you think about you know the traditional uh triathlon or time trial position right like most people are fairly fixed in their their elbows their hands their hips or obviously your feet are fixed to the pedals so it's really the head that moves around the most Right. It's the, it's the kind of the one, the one part of your body that has the greatest degree of freedom when you're otherwise attached to your bike. Obviously when you sit up out of arrow, then that's, that's a trivial case. We don't need to worry too much about that's very slow. We know that. So stay in arrow, folks, but, um, moving your head around can make a non-trivial difference. And in, in my own testing for me, it makes an enormous difference for me. So we're talking, um, you know, uh, between like a high position. So looking down the road and then, uh, uh close to my, close to my hands, low position with, of my head. I think my difference is as high on some days I've tested as high as 0.02 CDA. Um, and that's, uh, that's a, that's a very, that's a very substantial difference in speed or power. So head yeah, position yeah. is huge. For for those of you folks who are trying to trying to do some DIY uh, arrow testing, I think that's one of the first places I would look is, is how you hold yeah. your head. And so then if we had a sensor, if you find that optimal head position, and you can tell your sensor, this is where I want to be, and then it could show you if you deviate by more than a certain set percentage. I know that's something Leomo can do, um, and then probably others.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some examples of, from your testing and the testing you've done with athletes uh, and if you have numbers, that would be really cool, uh, sure. if you remember or remember ballpark, ballpark numbers. You may have what, to what bear with things... me
1: as I pull them up, though. But yes, yeah, I can yeah. definitely
0: do that. That's fine. What are some things that you've tested and found, just to just to give listeners an idea of the scope of possibilities with uh, good <laughs> error testing?
1: Yeah. Um. So there's some really... I, I love this question, because there, oh, there are always some surprises. So uh, broadly speaking, when you're testing... Uh, when you 're doing aero testing you are you can manipulate your your own body position you can manipulate you can try different helmets, try different sk- skin suits on you can try uh, different setups of the bike. Uh, we covered wheels already, so i won 't talk about that but for instance, how you set up hydration can make a, a substantial difference. This is something i haven 't tested yet myself, so i can 't speak from experience but Sebastian has told me that, that hydration can make a big difference, uh, especially eliminating round bottles on within the triangle of the bike. You know, round bottles between the, ar- between the arms and behind the saddle are usually okay. Um, but, uh, on the, on the, you know, on the, the down tube or the C tube, best avoided. If you can put an aero bottle there or no bottles at all, that, that tends to be faster. Um, so that's the easiest one. Uh, clothing and helmets do make a very big difference, believe it or not. Um, and helmets we've known about for quite some time. And uh, one of the things that always bugs me is when manufacturers, I mean, they have to sell their stuff. So, but they'll say that this is the fastest aero helmet that anyone's ever made in the history of aero helmets. And it's just a completely spurious claim, if you ask me, because it really depends on how you hold your head. And I'm sure that helmet is the fastest helmet on someone who holds his or her head in a very particular way, but maybe not on every. In fact, almost certainly not on everyone. So there are some helmets that do tend to test faster than others. And I'm happy to, if you want, I'm happy to share yes, what my share results it. are. And yep. Yep. yeah, also based on what Sebastian has told me. So the fastest helmets, uh, that we've tested that, that are worth testing are the Giro Arrowhead, uh, tests very well on a lot of people. Uh, it was the fastest helmet that we had on Taylor Reed yesterday, for example. Um, the, uh, one of my personal favorites, the Garneau P09, uh, tests very well on a lot of people and what i love about this is it costs like a third of what most other helmets at least in canada maybe because they're canadian manufacturer but it, it sometimes it costs a third of the of what other aero helmets cost and the fact that it competes with them and sometimes beats them is is kind of fun for me um the new rudy wing helmet it it hasn't been the fastest helmet on anyone i've tested but it's always been up there so this is the brand new one that they rolled out in in 2020 um The, and then these helmets I haven't tested, but I've been told by, this is, this is coming from Aerotune, the Met Drone, which is sadly you can't use in North America unless you're an international athlete because it's not, uh, CPSC rated for us. Um, and then the, uh, the cask Mistral, I believe those are, Hmm. those are kind of the five that I would definitely, definitely have a look at. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, they're worth, they're worth testing depending on head position.
0: Yeah cool and, and what sort of uh, if you've done any tests with with an athlete with maybe their a baseline helmet the helmet didn't work well for them and then a helmet the helmet that worked the best for them or on yourself what has the magnitude of differences been like
1: so on uh, oh, that's a great question so from a uh, from uh, from a road helmet right so this isn't maybe a fair comparison on me from a road helmet to the giro arrowhead uh i was able to save uh aerotune uses their own arrow points system but we'll let, if we keep it in cda i was able to save 0.02 cda which i can even tell you over the course of should have written this stuff down for you but 0.2 cda is a is a quite a quite a substantial quite a substantial drop and i can send you if you like yeah, or if you want to we're
0: talking we're talking minutes or uh Half for full yeah we're Ironman, talking
1: we're talking right. minutes in the, in the full so yeah so f- so with this setup um with the with the road helmet to hold let's say uh 40 kilometers an hour i would need 200 uh 268 watts and with the with the giro arrowhead it was 252 watts so that's a that's a savings of 16 yeah, watts which is great. a yeah. lot <laughs> yeah that's that's a that's a very big difference yeah. um that, and sometimes it's it's that's probably the biggest difference so that's between a kind of a traditional non arrow vented road helmet and the helmet that tests the fastest for me
0: yep do you have any other examples right. besides helmets like clothing or so
1: yeah so cl- clothing if it's again this it's very very individual but clothing can make a a substantial difference um, I ran a test where I was testing um uh a baseline suit against uh, well i was testing a a few uh a few tri suits and the difference is so the diff the difference between my fastest suit which is uh which is an old twenty sixteen Garneau um, coarse sleeved suit, uh, one that, that Lionel Sanders wore, uh, a, f- a number of times that is still the fastest suit on me. And I've tried a uh, you know, a few of the late of much more current suits with current technology that Garneau suit still, still wins for me. Um, the difference there is not as substantial as in the helmet. So it was, um, between that suit and, uh, let's say Garneau's newest suit. I had 0.09, CDA difference and between oh, that suit and a, point, and a suit point from
0: oh, oh, nine, probably
1: 0.009, correct oh oh nine and between that suit and uh, and uh, a Velotech suit with the um with the the silicone um vortex mm. generators on the sleeves so similar to like the Endura SSD yeah. but uh, suit made by Velotech was 0.008. um so that to give you the same kind of speed difference um with the Garneau suit for forty kilometers per hour two hundred sixty four watts. Uh, with the Garneau new suit 272 and with the Velotech 271. So a difference of about, you know, eight to 10 Watts, yeah. which is funny. Cause that's, that's kind of the joke with, you know, the Dan Bigham crowd is that you ask him what the difference it would make. And he always like, ah, oh, seven to 10 yeah. Watts, so, <laughs> you know, eight to 10 Watts is the difference between these suits on me at 40 kilometers an hour. Mm. So the thing to understand is that the difference changes with, with velocity, especially with suits. Because, um, the kind of the, the selling point of suits is that they, they create a, you know, you get different surfaces over your body. Obviously, that's what the suit is. Um, and those, the surface, the different surface features, um, or the, rather, the, the aerodynamic effect of the different surface features is, Somewhat dependent on speed because it, it has to do with the Reynolds number of the airflow, and then that, uh, that's proportional to speed. Um, and so, for folks who are, let's say, middle of the pack, long course triathletes who might be doing an Ironman in you know six hours, but thirty kilometers an hour, comparing them to let's say maybe tour time trialists who are going fifty-five kilometers an hour, there's a very big difference there. So, suits that are designed for people going at you know top end, uh, top end of the world uh, at at fifty-plus kilometers an hour may not. Not be the fastest on folks who are kind of you know mere mortals going 30 kilometers an hour. Mm, yeah. So that's something important to understand. And that's that mostly applies to suits, uh to other things less so, but suits specifically. Yeah.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, about the future of aero sensors as well, is there anything that you are particularly excited about coming up? Like you mentioned you're you have these sensors on your radar uh but currently you're not really you're favoring the sensor less testing. But what do you think testing will look like in two years from now or so do you think you will be relying more on sensors is there any particular player there that you are keep an extra eye out for because you think that they're doing something good and you uh, yeah tell me your thoughts on the future of the sensors
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, first I, I, I will, I'll state my priors and uh, you know, it's, there's the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the quip of when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. So it's like, it's whatever you're used to using. It feels like that's what you want to be using. So again, my experience being with, with Aerotune, and especially recently, I'm pretty excited about their sensor model. Um, one of the things I like about, about these guys, and I have no formal affiliation with Aerotune, Michael, it's just, uh, uh, just something that uh, I have been using. Um, is that they're, I think their pricing is really fair and that's I, I really appreciate that about them. Um, and so I'm excited to see what their sensor is going to look like. I, I've seen kind of uh, uh, some beta versions of it and it, it will be a full Yaw sensor. So I think adding, adding airflow calculations to their already pretty robust platform makes me kind of excited. But I also want to, you know, I'm keen to play around with other people's sensors. I know... Um, Aerolab sensor is really interesting. I think, you know, my personal opinion is that, uh, well, I'm, I personally am not prepared to pay the prices that they're currently asking for it. It's, uh, it's a little bit outside of my price range. Um, but I'm definitely curious to hear what, uh, what like Mark Graveline is working on. Um, I believe that he's got a pretty interesting system. I don't know how much he wants me to talk about it, but, uh, he has, he will have a sensor based system. And Mark, again, was the guy who uh, was one of the founders of Notcio. Um So I'm curious to try different sensors. Uh, and I think that the more players there are in the market, the more kind of the, you know, it, it's similar to what happened with power meters in, you know, 20 years ago, when there was just a couple of people, and they were expensive, it didn't work that great. I think some of the some of the hiccups that we're dealing with, with aero sensors now, are going to, you know, the process and the and the actual sensors themselves will improve over time and you'll be able to handle things like power meters not working correctly. You know, I I tested a I tested a gentleman recently who's was running an old power tap pedal system and we just had dropouts all over the place and that was something that currently the the system is not able to handle. Um, because it introduces so much error and so much variation into the into the test, which needs to be like near perfect. But maybe down the line the algorithms will become so robust that we're gonna be able to deal with errors. And actually dealing with errors is something that is, I think, a huge deal with arrow testing because of, of what I said earlier about how how sensitive the the testing process is to those errors. So if we can if we can find, or the manufacturers, I'm not counting myself as one of those people. If the manufacturers can figure out a way to be, to make the testing process more robust, I think that's going to be a, a huge win because then it will open things up to, uh, to, you know, more recreational aero testing
0: yeah. folks. What's, what's your recommendation right now for, you know, the average consumer, not a coach or a bike fitter, but perhaps a, a dedicated triathlete who is interested in, in improving their performance and going faster? So, I mean, I, I, I would say that based on our discussion it definitely doesn't sound like this is the thing that you want to get as your first beginner <laughs> purchase as but but for people yeah. that are more experienced and uh and interested in these things uh what's your recommendation would you recommend sticking with a sensorless uh test protocol like Aerotune right now or is there value in getting uh, one of those sensors and playing around with it
1: yeah, I mean my 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 gut would be to to go with Aerotune and I'll I'll tell you why. I and again I'll I'll preface that by saying that I have no experience no personal experience using anyone other than Noshio or Aerotune. Um I mean Aerolab won't even sell to you so that's kind of out of the question. Um the uh, you know I don't know what what Ghibli's model is and the uh, and and Aeropods what their mo- what their you know retail models are like. Uh and I know Noshio I haven't checked their pricing but they're they were close to around a 1000 Canadian dollars last time. I I checked, um, and so you know, there's it's a non-trivial barrier to entry from a cost perspective. And at this point, I don't think that the sensor-based systems, at least the ones that are uh, you know available to athletes, provide you enough of an advantage over a sensor-less system, which has a much a much lower cost. So my uh, my gut would be to to you know go with somebody like Aerotune. Um, they they have a very robust you know kind of ecosystem, in my opinion but more than uh more than the cost uh i would uh i would encourage your listeners michael to be prepared for a quite a steep learning curve you know you want to be as i said you really want to be patient and curious i think if 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 you know anyone listening to this conversation is those two things and you've got some time on your hands uh there's some really like really impressive opportunities to you know to go faster and to really answer some of those questions which you know so far have been there's been no good way to answer. It's like, what's the fastest helmet on me? What's the fastest skin suit on me? Does it make sense for me to go lower, to go longer, or to go higher? Um, we didn't really talk about positional interventions. Um, but there's, you know, I'm happy to if you like, but, uh, it really to, to evaluate those things so far, basically, you've, you know, to this point, other than going to a wind tunnel or using something like, um, stack slash four eyes virtual wind tunnel. Um, there's really no way to evaluate that. You know, people would post photos on slow twitch and they would say, like, what's, what's a faster position? And the eyeball wind tunnel is, is really faulty. I'll tell you that right now. There's <laughs> things that, that may look fast or that looked fast 10 years ago that, and, you know, are actually quite not fast. You know, they're not, they're not any faster than what we can do today with a much more relaxed position, for example.
0: Mm, yeah. yeah well th- you mentioned going to the wind tunnel or using something like the virtual wind tunnel. Uh, how do you think that field testing stacks up to to those options?
1: yeah, so I think the biggest advantage of the wind tunnel and the virtual wind tunnel is repeatability and data quality right so you know i've I'm, <laughs> I've said this a bunch of times already is that field testing introduces you know other variables that you need to control for, and it's also at the same time harder to control for those variables when you're out in the field. So there's a, there's a lot more noise um, in field testing than there is in virtual wind tunnel or with uh, real wind tunnel. Obviously, the real wind tunnel is expensive; it's the, by far the most expensive option um, because also depending on where you live, you might not be one close by. If you're in the UK and you've got a whole bunch of them near you, that's one thing. But if you're in Canada, there's really nothing you can, you have access outside of you know flying to Arizona and you. Using the a2 tunnel or something like that and that's you know tunnel times expensive travel times expensive hotels etc um but the wind the real wind tunnel probably still gives you kind of the most the the best results and you can do a lot of a lot of testing in a very concentrated amount of time Um, the biggest barrier there is cost and travel time Uh, the virtual wind tunnel is an awesome uh, kind of quick way to get a, a fairly accurate cda um with with really minimal investment, uh, I still think that that's a really good first kick at the can of of trying to figure some things out. The limitation of the virtual wind tunnel is it does not have the res the the scanners do not have resolution enough to do surfaces. So any kind of suit testing is not possible with the virtual wind tunnel, and sometimes suits, as as in my example, can make a real non you know seven to ten watt difference in your in your CDA or in your aerodynamics. Um, so if uh, it really depends on what you have access to and how much money and time you're willing to spend. Um, and then the one other advantage of field testing, I would say, other than, you know, potentially lower cost and, you know, being able to test on whatever conditions you have the, have access to is the fact that you can see if you can maintain the position. It's, it's kind of one of those fun ones, especially when you get really deep into a test. Let's say you're doing, you know, yeah. Let's say you're trying to test, you know, seven or eight or nine different things. And that's, that's going to require, you know, um, 20 to 25 out and back passes. And so by the, by the end of this effort, and you're trying to do them at race pace by the end of this effort, it's a serious workout. And so you have, you, you can, you can try to see is like, can, can you even maintain that position? Is it, is it feasible to maintain that super fast position over the course of uh, of a long, potentially hard workout?
0: Mm, yeah no, that's a great yeah. summary and and i think we mentioned prices there uh Aerotunes uh pricing model is that for, for 25 euros i believe you can use the test as many chances you want for one entire month so that's mm. a really attractive pricing model as you mentioned yeah uh you met some aero sensors that you mentioned are upwards uh, towards uh, one thousand dollars or or so but i believe i saw on dc rainmaker so not directly i didn't check the site directly but that the aero pod might be something as like 299 us dollars so that's oh wow okay. to be confirmed uh for the listeners <laughs> because i yeah i wouldn't uh i wouldn't guarantee it it was a dc rainmaker post from a couple of years ago i believe but but at least i think that probably the market is going to just like it happened with power meters, is going to try to yep to converge towards those slightly lower prices in the few hundred dollars rather than a thousand or two thousand dollars so uh so Mm -hmm. that's probably a trend that we'll see over the next few years and then as you said there are a few a few expensive options and a few options that haven't that don't even have a product on the market yet that are uh so we're still waiting for the price i think the the body rocket from the uk is one of one of those
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I don't think that, I don't think they're quite, uh, they're quite out yet, but yeah, they, they all have, you know, pros and cons, but if, if it's something that, uh, your listeners want to play around with, certainly the, 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 easiest barrier or the, the lowest barrier entry would be an aero tune test. All you need is a dual sided power meter. It is important that you have dual sided. You can get away with single sided, but dual sided um, gives you a more accurate power because of course, single sided power meters just double your power uh, of the single leg. So if there's any kind of imbalance, you're getting either a low reading or a high reading. Um, and that's and having accurate power is very important to aero testing. Um, but that's true for anybody's aerometer, right? Like, you're, if you're using a sensor-based system or or sensorless, you need an accurate power meter, and uh, you also need a speed sensor because GPS speed is not uh, sufficiently—it's not precise and it's not updated frequently enough to give you good um, good data for for the algorithms for the aero calculation algorithms. So you need a, a basic speed sensor, which is you know fifty dollars, no big deal, and the power meter that you probably already have. Uh, ideally dual sided. If you have a single sided, you just have to run more passes at least with AeroTune to average out the errors. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Um so I think that's that just about wraps it up for aero testing. Is there anything that we missed that we should talk about with regard to aero testing?
1: Uh, no I think that's uh that's a good uh, that's a good summary Michael thank you for for having me on there's always there's always some there's always more to talk about right like we can we can dive into a whole number of rabbit holes but that's I think as a summary that's a pretty good
0: place to start there's a lot and I already put together the the list of links to related episodes both on your podcast on endurance innovation all the different people oh, you've right. talked with on the topic and and uh, some episodes that I've done on, on my podcast as well in the past so there's a lot uh, more rabbit holes to go down Onto for the listeners interested in this um I want to ask you another question which is just a general question about is there anything other than aerodynamics that has you excited in the endurance sports and uh, endurance sports technology specifically
1: yeah well one of the, the other the other passions that Andrew and I share so we're both mechanical engineers and we both uh, studied heat transfer uh to some extent but, you know that's part of the the education but he actually he went as far as doing his PhD on uh on, uh, on heat transfer. Um, Well, a a topic that involves quite a bit of heat transfer. So one of the other things that that's really interesting for us is the, um, the, the the kind of the understanding of, you know, the role of heat stress in both training and racing, and as well uh, thinking about strategies and, um, and, and products to mitigate that heat stress in, in race day conditions. You know, the classic example would be Kona, uh, the heat in Kona and the humidity in Kona make it a, a very difficult race, much more difficult than, than perhaps others. And, uh, there's quite a bit of inter-individual variability to how well you can handle heat stress. Um, and so we're, we, we're, we, we are spending some time thinking about not so much the training side, because there's lots of really smart folks, really smart coaches and sports scientists who are looking at that, but more on the product side of things of what can we do to help athletes manage heat better? Um, because I think that's, uh, that's an underexplored field. And if we're, ta- if we're thinking about, you know, limiters to performance in some cases, you know, accumulation of heat in the body, uh, you know, is definitely one of those limiters.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, uh, do, do you have any sort of any idea for when you might have, uh, have some, some launch date for products or, <laughs> or, or similar, or is it, is it to Where... be determined?
1: It's, it's a little bit too early. I, you know, the last thing I'd want to do is, is, is promise a date and then not, not have, not have something ready. We're, we're, we're talking to a couple of uh, potential partners to help us develop this, some of the things that we're thinking about. Uh, we're, we're looking at two, I'll, I'll say that we're looking at two, two distinct uh, product types. And one's a little bit closer to reality. I mean, I would love to have, so maybe I'm going to go back on what I just said. I would love to have, um, this, this first product, uh, in the, uh, you know, in the hands of athletes, one or one or two athletes for Kona this year, that would be, that's Mm -hmm. our stretch goal for, for 2021 is to have, um, is to have it for, yeah, is to, is to demo it at Kona. Uh, this year
0: well that would be great uh keep me posted on that and uh we can have a chat when when uh, the day comes um yeah other than that i don't think uh i have anything more to say other than uh go and listen to the endurance innovation podcast there's lots of great content there and thank you michael for coming on and talking about aerodynamic testing it was uh, great to get uh, an an unbiased view uh, on it and the different methods that are used and uh, practical experience the good the bad and the ugly so to say i really (laughs) appreciate that
1: well thank you for having me on and uh and uh you will we'll, we'll have we'll return the favor because you're coming on endurance innovation uh we'll record tomorrow actually for for an episode i've been trying to get uh to get an expert on so i'm uh, i'm happy that you're willing to return the favor michael
0: yeah no problem at all i hope you enjoyed that interview with michael As always, you can find the show notes on scientificdriathlon.com and uh, you can find Michael on the Endurance Innovation podcast in your podcast app of choice. As I mentioned, I'll have plenty of links in the episode show notes uh, to episodes that I've done on this podcast and episodes that Michael and Andrew have done on the Endurance Innovation podcast. So check out that list. It's very long, all about aerodynamics and aerodynamic testing. As I mentioned way back in the day in episode 90, I interviewed Sebastian Schlurike, who is the founder of AeroTune. which is the one of the aero tests that we talked about quite a lot and that michael currently recommends for most athletes to use for aerodynamic field testing so check that out if you're interested and of course check out uh, sebastian's more recent appearance on the endurance innovation podcast that was episode 99 if you're looking to take your triathlon to the next level go and check out the coaching services we offer on scientifictriathlon.com, or the customized or ready-made training plans depending on your budget and your needs we hope that we can help you take the next step and become a faster higher performing triathlete and big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com go and check out their resources like the free online sweat test or the quick carb calculator and get 50% off your order of electrolytes and precision fuel energy products with the promo code one 15 And thank you to Zen8 that you can find on zen 8 Use the swim trainer to improve your technique, power, and stamina, and increase your swim stimulus frequency. Even when you can't go to the pool or open water, get more than forty percent off your order when you combine the twenty percent that show discount with the summer sale that is running until mid-August. So I repeat, that's more than forty percent off uh, the Senate swim trainer. Go to senateswimtrainer.com for slash tts to make use of that discount code. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next Monday with another episode. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving trap.